invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Daniel chapter 6 if you're not there already. If you read the entirety of Daniel's book, the second half being a prophecy, if you read especially the first six chapters, you have to ask the question, as I did this week, how did Daniel, from the time that he was a teenager, because that's when he was taken into captivity, when he's taken into Babylonian, Babylonian captivity as a teenager till chapter 6, the chapter we're reading, um, he's now in his 80s. So from a teenager to the time he was 80, or in his 80s, he stayed faithful to God in a culture that every day in every way dishonored, disobeyed, and disregarded God question for us this morning is the same, isn't it? How will our teenagers and us as adults, how will we as followers of Christ, how will we maintain our loyalty and allegiance to our Lord in the 21st century American culture in which we live? And I don't think it's far-fetched to say we're a culture where more and more every day in every way we are surrounded by and actually subverted by a society that regularly dishonors, disobeys, and disregards our God. For Daniel, there were a number of answers to that question, but the one that's emphasized in this chapter is prayer. That was how he did it. He prayed twice, once in chapter 6, verse 10, and the other in verse 13. And by the way, once it was recorded as a narrative comment about his life, and the other one is what his enemies found him doing. So even his opposition, even those who would take his life, even they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. He prayed three times every day. His daily prayer, can I say it to you this way? And I want you to get this this morning. His time of prayer every day was an identity statement for him when he lived in Babylon. It defined him. It is what he was known for, It was what he was all about. It set him apart from everyone else. You see, Daniel was not odd different. He was God different. He wasn't just weird or strange because he didn't wear the same clothes or he didn't do certain, although that was probably true. But what made him different was where God stood in his life and where he stood with him. You have to ask yourself the question. Here's a guy who is politically powerful. He's got a very high up position in the Babylonian government, which wasn't easy for him since he's not Babylonian. Why would he intentionally, three times a day, pray and give thanks to God? I think it's because his prayer life was informed by Scripture. Psalm 55 reads, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, three times a day. I will utter my complaint, and he will hear my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are against me. See, he knew that he was in a battle. He knew that he was in a warfare situation, and so he prayed. 1 Kings 8, 33 and 34 might have come to his mind. It says, when your people are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. And that's why Daniel was written. 
It was written to people who were in exile because they were idolatrous and they had disobeyed God's law and they had not trusted God and been faithful to him. And that's why they were in exile and captivity. And God says, when that happens in your life, Israel, here's what you do. If you turn again to me and acknowledge my name and pray and plead, God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin. See, here's what Daniel knew is that he needed to worship God on his knees because he was in a battle. He even says, the psalmist says, I need God every day, three times a day, because I need safety in the battle that I wage. Can I tell you honestly this morning, there is no warfare and non-warfare part of life. Every part of our life is a battle. The Bible says, that Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Do you hear that? Listen to it a little more carefully because it is a verse about a fight. It is a verse about a battle. It is a verse about the warfare that Daniel had every day. See, he lived in Babylon, but his windows were open to Jerusalem. See, there was a conflict going on. Now, although Nebuchadnezzar had come many years previously, and that war had been settled, the battle of Babylon was still ongoing. It just wasn't the same kind of battle. In chapter one, it was the battle of what they would eat and drink. In chapter two, about how he would have the ability or not have the ability to interpret dreams. In chapter four, it was the way that he pronounced judgment when God judged Nebuchadnezzar and made him like an animal. In chapter five, when Belshazzar had the writing on the wall and he was overthrown, Daniel was there. In chapter six, it's whether Daniel will pray or not. See, the battle hasn't stopped because Nebuchadnezzar is gone and Israel has been vanquished. The battle still wages on. And Daniel was ready, he was ready for anything and everything that Babylon could throw at him. Are you? Are you ready? You see, all of life in Babylon was a battle. Can I tell you the truth? All of life in America is a battle. And Daniel fought this battle for seven years decades, 70 years, and he prayed on his knees by himself in chapter 2 and verse 17. At one point, he got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they went to his house, and they prayed together. See, he knows how important prayer is. That is why we have prayer week, because we want you to pray on your own, and we want you to pray with God's people. That's why, can I tell you, I'm not just giving this as a commercial, you ought to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. You know why? Because we need to pray together. We do. Why? Because we are in a battle. We are in a war. You see, Daniel, the Bible said, had enemies. Although he lived righteously and they could find no fault in him. The Bible says three times that a group of people that were not quite as high as him, here's the phrase, and they came together by agreement. We call it today a conspiracy. 6-6. 611, 615, all mention that phrase. And here's why. They were professionally jealous of him. He had an excellent spirit in him. He was trusted. He had no fault. And the king could trust him above everybody else. And he had excellence in all that he did. And because of that, he was being promoted. And can you hear it? Listen, is this not relevant for today? Can you hear the bias? Listen to this in verse 13. 
when they're talking to Darius about how Daniel had disobeyed about praying, and they say Daniel, who was one of the exiles in Judah. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not even one of us. See, he's different. He doesn't have our ethnicity. He's not from our background. He's not from our race. You see, see, Daniel is less than us to begin with. And King, you shouldn't be surprised that the guy broke your rule because you know who he is. You see, that's the, that's the day in which we live. See, there are people who are professionally jealous of him. They thought that they were superior to him because of their race. He was in a conflict. But can I tell you this? Listen, the conflicts are always deeper than what they seem to be on the outside. And throughout chapter 6, what you find is going on in a prayer, chapter about prayer, hear me, there are a lot of contrasts going on. You know, out of all the people, 120 satraps, all the governors, you know, none of them are ever named. Do you know the only two names that are mentioned are Daniel and Darius? You know why? Because they represent two kingdoms. They represent two kings. They represent two gods. They represent two ways of life. And here's what prayer is about. Prayer is about who will you bow down to? See, that's what it's about. See, Daniel, it doesn't just say Daniel got on his knees and prayed. You, did you catch the wording? He prayed to his God. You see, that's what we're about. That's where the battle is. This is about the question, who will be king? But that's not the only contrast. If you'll also see in chapter 6, if you read the whole thing, you'd find out this, that there's this contrast between the law of the Medes and Persians and the law of Daniel's God. See, they are in opposed, they are opposed to one another. And the question of prayer is this, who do you not bow, not only who you bow down to, who is king, but who do you obey? Who has the real authority in your life? But there's more than that. There's not just two names and two laws. There are two geographical locations. And they are Babylon and Jerusalem, and they are diametrically opposed to one another. They are two different worlds, and they do not stand for the same thing at all. And so although Daniel lives in Babylon, his windows are open to Jerusalem. And can I tell you, if you are looking to have a prayer life, you have to have a heart in heaven while your body is on earth. Because that's what Daniel says. You see, that's what it means to pray behind enemy lines. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Scott O'Grady. It's a true story. In 1995, he was flying his F-16C over Bosnia-Herzegovina, and he was shot down by a, SAM, a, a, um, a missile, and it took him down. He parachuted into the jungle only two minutes, two minutes ahead of the Serbians who were trying to catch him so they could kill him. For six days, he was behind enemy lines. All that he drank and ate was water and grass. That's all he could find. And if you read his story, there were so many times that they were so close. In fact, where he was hiding once, they walked within three feet of where he was laying. But after six days, he finally was saved when he rendezvoused with the Marines and they delivered him from behind enemy lines. That, I, I read that story and I said, wow, those six days must have drug on like crazy. I mean, he must have been on edge every single moment. And then I thought, six days, that's nothing. Daniel lived behind enemy lines for 70 years. Do you know this morning, you're behind enemy lines? Do you know that when you go to school, to work, that you're behind enemy lines? See, prayer is for war. 
for all of us. In order to do that successfully, we have to have the right perspective like Daniel did. Daniel was not, hear me, Daniel was not a citizen of Babylon trying to make it to Jerusalem. He was a citizen of Jerusalem trying to make it through Babylon. So what about us? Think of yourself this way. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not a citizen of America trying to make it to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven trying to make it through America. Because that's where our primary allegiance lies. See, that's where we are primarily citizens. How do you keep that identity? How do you keep from letting Babylon form and shape your identity into what they want you to be? You know what Daniel would say? Pray. He would say pray. Because the underlying battle in a Babylon like he lived in and the America in which we live in, the number one problem is identity. Babylon, like for Daniel, and America, like for all of us, they want to form and shape our identities. And the two questions that they're after, more than any others, is this. Who is God and who are you? And by the way, they go together. See, Babylon wanted to give them new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names we actually call them the most, most of us couldn't even tell the Hebrew names because that's the Babylonian names. And all the Babylonian names that they got, including Daniel's, were names of the Babylonian gods. Because here's what Babylon's job is, to redesign you. To give you a new name, give you a new God, a new lifestyle, a new priority. And that's why you see all through the chapters... Daniel and his friends are different. They are going to have a different diet. They have a different wisdom. They serve a different God. They have different values. They have different laws that they live. They have different kings. They have different priorities. They live a different life. Why? Because when they prayed and got on their knees, their identity was continually maintained and shaped by God. See, Daniel lived in Babylon, but Babylon did not live in him how did he do that? He prayed three times every day. I would tell you this. Prayer every day is identity formation. It's your opportunity every day in a secular world that is devoid of God. It is your opportunity. In fact, I would tell you more. It is your responsibility to remind yourself every day the answer to those two questions, because when you get on your knees and pray, this is what you're doing. You're saying this, I know the answer to who is God. It's God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I know that. And also, every day when you get on your knees, it tells you who you are, and I am their servant. Can I tell you, we can't go a day without reminding ourselves of that. We get caught up in our jobs, in our school, in our schedules, and we begin to think that we are God. We begin to think and we begin to believe and take on the form and the shape and the identity and the values and the priorities and even the morals at times of the Babylon in which we live. Daniel lived in Babylon and in Jerusalem at the same time, and prayer helped him keep the tension between the two. Physically, he was in Babylon. Spiritually, he was in Jerusalem. Just like Paul, when he starts out his letter in the New Testament to the Philippines, he says that you are in Philippi, the saints in Philippi, who are in Christ. You see how they have a dual location? In Philippi, but in Christ. See, we are in Hamilton, 
but we are in Christ. Daniel lived in Babylon, but he lived for Jerusalem. Prayer helped him every day. He, he, he thought that prayer was so important for keeping his identity that he prayed as much as he ate. Because if he ate three times a day and he prayed three times a day, see, none of us would say, oh, we get upset. I don't want to go without a meal. I'm hungry. i got to have something to eat. I mean, you might be thinking about lunch even now. Especially if you didn't have breakfast, right? And you don't have a meal. You get a little grumpy, a little complain. I wonder, do you ever get grumpy and complaining when you don't have time to pray? Oh, I can't believe I didn't pray this morning. That was awful. You know what Daniel said? He goes, I have to pray minimally as much as I eat. You know why? Because that's how much I need God. I live in Babylon, but my heart is in Jerusalem. And if I'm going to keep that tension, I have to seek God. See, we live in New Jersey, but we live for the New Jerusalem. So that's why we get on our knees. That's why every day, I challenge you three times a day this week, get on your knees. You know why? It will keep you your priority of having a heavenly citizenship primary. You won't believe that you're first and foremost American. Therefore, your first and foremost love and passion will not be politics. It will not be any, you know what it'll be? It will be the kingdom. See why? Because that's what prayer does. This is who I am. This is who God is. This is what is primary. See, prayer helps us follow the law of God first, not the law of the Medes and Persians. It's not what the president says or the American, you know what? We choose to say it's God's word that comes first in our life. Prayer helps us keep the true God as the real God in our life. And we don't bow down to all the other gods offered to us in our 21st century Babylon. And there are a ton of them. See, prayer connects our off-knees life with our on-knees life. See, there are people every day who get on their knees with a little devotional in the morning, and they pray a little bit to God, and they go to work, and they forget all about him. He doesn't have anything to do with their decisions, how they look at what they look on the internet, how they talk to people, their anger, their priorities, how they view life. Nothing to do with him, but they do go to the Bible and pray and read a little bit in the morning. You know what? See, Daniel said, that's crazy. See, that's not how you live in Babylon and be faithful to God. You know, he connected what his off-knees, when he wasn't on his knees, his off-knees life with his on-knees life. He had connected them. His public life and his private life mattered. They were the same. And when they wanted to find something wrong with him, they knew this, we won't find it in the way that he does his job. We'll have to find fault in what he does with his God. For us, too many of us, it's the other way around. They won't go to our God and our relationship with him. They'll find fault in what we do when we're off of our knees. See, have you made that connection? Do your kids, hear me, do your teenagers make that connection? See, how, do, how can our kids dare to be a Daniel in a Babylonian world? When they go to Babylonian school and the answer to the question, who is God, is you. You're God, so design your body however you want have whatever identity you want, whatever sexuality you want. What about their friends? What about our jobs? When we go to work, see, here's what Daniel said. 
You know how I keep the tension? You know how I live in that world and I don't compromise and I don't give in and I don't bow down to their gods? I pray three times a day. And when they make laws that are contrary to the law of my God, I continue to do the same thing I've always been doing. See, in Daniel, there is ordinary prayer and there is extraordinary prayer. And all of us want a prayer life where we pray just a little bit here and there and God does amazing things. But that's not the prayer life that Daniel had. You know what the Bible says? He prayed three times a day after the document was signed. Listen, as he had done previously. The King James says, as he had done since early days. You know what he'd been, he'd been doing for 70 years? 70 years praying three times a day. So when the Lion's Den event came up, the big event where God needed to do something supernatural, he didn't have to do anything different than he'd always done. See, we have God in our lives, and when an emergency comes up, we have to actually pray. We have to actually get serious about it. We have to actually spend more than a minute or two at it. You know why? Because it's not our life. See, Daniel's life revolved around prayer because Daniel's life revolved around God. And when prayer and difficulties came and hardships in his life, he didn't have to do anything more than he was already doing is there a disconnect in your life that way? Is your life off your knees different than what it is on your knees? See, the truth is, Daniel's life teaches us in 6.10 that your life on your knees should direct your life off your knees, not the other way around. See, too often our off-our-knees life directs our... So if I'm busy today and I have to get up a little earlier or I've got a schedule with all these appointments and I've got all these things and I've got to take the kids here and I've got to... See, that directs our on-our-knees lives. I really didn't have time to pray this morning. And I was too busy over lunch. In fact, I had to skip lunch and I didn't have time to pray during the day and I didn't have to... Pray. You know what? Because tonight afterwards I had to do... See, too often our off-knees life directs our on-our-knees life. And we wonder when the major events come up why it doesn't seem that anything extraordinary ever happens. If you looked at it, I wonder what the score would be if you had a big scoreboard at your house. Imagine a big scoreboard, right, where everybody walks in your room. And one side said the score, here's the Babylon score and the Jerusalem score. See, prayer three times a day. I wonder, if we don't pray... Jerusalem, zero. Babylon, appointments at the school, appointments at the doctor, appointments at this, scholarships, funds, we all, all these things that we do, and Babylon's scoring, and the score keeps going up, and the Jerusalem side still stays zero. And we wonder why our kids really aren't interested in school or are interested in church, and we have to make them come, and we don't ever see them pick up their Bible and very rarely do we ever hear about them witnessing to anybody. And we wonder about their purity and what they're really looking at. All the while, see what's happening? Babylon's score is going up and Jerusalem sits at zero. Is that it is how it is in your life? Is that how it is in their life? We have time for school, but no time for God. Kids go to events, but they don't come to youth group. They have time to study three times a day, but not pray three times a day. You know what the amazing statement in 610 says? That when he knew the document was signed, he went home and his window, see, his windows were already open toward Jerusalem. You know what I would think today? When we have a big issue that comes up in our life, here's what's true of some of God's people. That our windows are open toward Babylon and they're closed toward Jerusalem. Isn't that the shame? 
See, let me ask you, what about your windows? He didn't have a prayer closet. He had a prayer window. And his was always open. Always open. Because that's the way that he lived his life. See, we can have our windows. See, if your windows are always open to Babylon, but most of the time closed to Jerusalem, see, you're going to get Babylonian kids. And you're going to be a Babylonian parent. And you're going to be, if there's such a thing, a Babylonian Christian. You know why? Because your windows are open toward the wrong place all the time. And I don't really honestly know what can we expect when our lives and our windows are open toward Babylon all the time. And we wonder why they have the values and the priorities or lack the desire for spiritual things in our lives because that's not where our windows are open to. The place of prayer in your life reveals the place of God in your life. And if you have little time for prayer, it means this, you have little time for God. And I'm not legalistically saying, hey, if you don't have an hour on your knees in prayer, then you're a spiritual dropout. It's not about legalism, it's about love. Prayer for Daniel was countercultural. It was revolutionary subversive because he was living out an identity that no one else was living. And that's what's wrong. See, our teens, listen, we don't even want to do that. We don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be the person who doesn't do certain things. We don't want to be known for that. Where do you get the strength to be that person, to be different like Dan? You get it every day on your knees because you tell yourself, I know who I am. I'm God's servant. See, his prayer life was a demonstration of his devotion to God, listen, supremely. He was devoted to God supremely, meaning that when he knew it was signed and he knew that it was his death warrant, he still did it. That's where we begin in prayer. We have to begin our prayer lives with this concept. God is everything to me. He is supreme in the affections of my heart. You know, listen, when the document was signed and the injunction was signed, here's what it meant. It was irreversible. Two times in verse 8 and 13 in chapter 6, it says this, and you know the law of the Medes and Persians doesn't change. In other words, as soon as the thing was signed and he went to his room to pray, here's what he knew. I am going to die. I'm going to. It's not reversible. It doesn't change. There will be no small print at the bottom of the document. There are no loopholes in that document. The laws of the Medes and Persians don't change. But for Daniel... That prayer life and getting on his knees represented his life. It was his life. He could no more stop praying than he could stop believing that God existed. And therefore, he chose God supremely over his job, his political position, the wealth that he'd accumulated, the power that he had, even life itself. Psalm 63.3 says, Your loving kindness is better than life, therefore my lips will praise you. See, when he knew, what about you? When you know your boss has said that everyone must put the LGBTQ rainbow on their office door, what do you do? See, when you know that your teacher will not tolerate any other view in her class, 
when you write the paper, other than evolution, what will you do? See, when you know that your friends at school will mock you and laugh you to scorn, if not worse, if you're the one who refuses to go to the parties that everybody else attends, what will you do? I know what Daniel did when he was threatened. He got on his knees. See, they came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. See, he was God different and his prayer life proved it. Daniel's enemies thought that they, would, they had found his weakness, his prayer life, but what they didn't know is they had found his strength. His enemies were seeking his death, but he was seeking God. That's the kind of guy that he was. In case you're confused, this is not a story about if you're good and moral, God will deliver you from all your problems. That's not the story because Jesus certainly didn't have that happen for him. This is a story about someone that is so dedicated to God, so devoted to God in a culture that is devoid of God that they will be willing to pay any cost to maintain their God identity. See, people get on their knees in prayer in an anti-God society because they have come to this realization like Daniel that they know God, not Darius, is the one who has the power to deliver them. We need to pray and seek God this year. We need to do it like Daniel did with our windows open toward heaven. And we also need to do it together In verse 24 of chapter 6, one we didn't read, it says that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, it's a crazy Hebrew word. Do you know what it means? It means to eat pieces of. That's what the word, maliciously accused. You know what? They were tearing apart. They were going to eat him alive. That's what we would say today. That was how strong the antagonism. They were going to eat him alive. And when you do this, if you take the Bible in Daniel 6 and Daniel 3, here's what you're going to find. That those two chapters have a lot in common. The story of the fiery furnace and the lion's den have these things in contrast. Look at this. It says they were both, their enemies wanted to eat them to pieces, 624 and 38. They were both thrown into the furnace, thrown into the lion's den, 6.16, Both of them were delivered and saved by an angel. Both of them had this testimony at the end that no harm was done to them. And the stories, if you look down the two stories, they are side by side. You know why? Because lion stories and furnace stories are the result of prayer stories. We would all say, oh, wouldn't you love to have a testimony? We're going to have testimony time this week, next week, and you say, oh, I can't wait for Wednesday night for, for church because... I'm going to tell people about my lion story. Imagine we get to heaven, we're sitting around, and there's Daniel. He's telling his lion story, and you're telling your story. And you're saying, yeah, I never faced a lion. I never faced any of those things. I never had to pray like that. I never did pray like that. We would love to have a lion story, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have a furnace story? Oh, wouldn't you like to say, oh, look what God did. Look what God did, and I prayed, and God did this at my job, and look what God did. See, wouldn't it be great in 2022 that we are constantly at Faith Baptist Church having people stand up and to the glory of God say, look what God has done. Look what he's doing. See, look how faithful and obedient. Look how much I've been seeking his face. And when I did this, look what God has changed. Look how my marriage has totally revolutionized. Look at my kids. My kids were no interest at all in God. And now look at their lives. 
Wouldn't you have, like to have a lion story of your own? Wouldn't you like to have a furnace story? You know why they had them? Because they were connected to their prayer stories. Because they sought God and they lived lives of obedience. See, today, the stories we tell are scholarship stories and sports stories and job stories. What if our kids instead pursued a PhD in prayer? What if they were prayer champions, Division I? What if they were supplication stories that our kids were telling? Wouldn't it be great if your kids came home and say, Dad, hey, I didn't score 31 points in the game, but I witnessed the three kids today at school. Now, are the other stories wrong? Absolutely not. Those are great stories, but they're not the greatest. It's the God stories that are the greatest. It's the stories that are connected to him and to prayer and living lives of obedience at any cost. That's the stories we want our kids to tell, isn't it? But see, Daniel's not the only one with a lion story. Did you know that? You don't have to turn there, but there's a New Testament lion story. And that's the Apostle Paul. Do you know the very last letter he ever wrote and the very last chapter he ever wrote, he tells about his lion story. And you know what? Like Daniel, he was in a battle, in a warfare, and he knew it. He says, come quickly because Demas has forsaken me. His trusted companion that traveled with him for years, when it came time to know that Paul might go in the lion's den and have his life ended, he left. And so do some other people. In fact, to the point where it says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke, the only one that would be with Paul in his greatest need. He says that my first apologetic, my first defense, he said when I stood before Nero the very first time, he said, everybody turned their back on me and left. Can you imagine that? After all the years he poured into them. You see, he was in a battle. Alexander the coppersmith said he did me much evil. May the Lord reward him according to his. There are people who had opposed him. Outsiders, insiders. Paul had always been waging a battle to the point where in that very chapter, in that very paragraph, here's what he says about his life at the end. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know what he means? I maintained my identity in God. Here's what he says. I did it for 30-some years. It was a fight. It was a struggle every single day. And he says, everyone forsook me, but listen to what the Bible says. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You know what I take strengthened means? That he gave him the strength when he got on his knees in prayer to face being alone at the end of his life. And this is what he says at the last. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. See, he has a New Testament lion story. See, Daniel tells his story, and Paul's telling his lion's den story. Will you tell yours? See, get on your knees and pray three times a day this week and say this, God, I need you to tell me who you are, and I need you to tell me who I am all the time. Get on your knees with your kids this week and say this. You know what we need around our house? We need this is who God is. And in light of that, this is who we are. Kids, because the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know how you can stay out of the lion's mouth? Open your windows. Open your windows because open windows close mouths. For God's glory. Let's pray.
with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, how many would say this morning with no one looking, Pastor Walker, I hear your words to say God's words. And I need to take prayer seriously because truthfully, if you're honest and humble, I need to take God seriously. I, haven't, I have a disconnect between my off-knees life and my on-knees life. It's, it's not there. See, I have time for everything, but I don't have time for that. I, God gets my leftovers. God gets my kids' leftovers. If there's anything left, then he, we try to marginally fit him in because we are Christians, you know. We don't want to just have nothing to do with them. See, Daniel's life was built around God. Therefore, it was built around prayer. I'm guessing if he prayed morning, noon, and evening that he had to schedule things around his time with God, not the other way around. Would you do that this week? Would you do that? Say, I want my life to revolve around you, God. Other people will have to wait. I'll have to make different arrangements. I'll have to cancel some appointments. You know why? Because it's about you, not me. Because I'm not Babylonian. I'm from heaven's kingdom. How many would say by uplifted hand, think about it for a moment, I, by God's grace, this week, I am going to seek to pray three times a day this entire week. I want to do that, and I'm seeking to do that by God's grace. Would you just put your hand up, and I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Walker, I'm going to take that challenge. Three times a day this week, I'm going to pray. And listen, and I'm going to pray, and everything else will revolve around that. Would you just raise your hand, balcony, main floor? My, my, thank you. You can put your hands up. Listen, if we were this serious about this all the time, what stories for God's glory would we be telling? Let's make a difference this year. You want to? Let's do it on our knees. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Daniel, a man whose life was all about you. You've seen the hands of people, many, many people who've raised their hand this morning, maybe even some at home who are watching, who are taking this prayer challenge Father, may we keep each other accountable. May we push each other toward prayer because we need you. Father, may our lives this week and this year be different because our lives are about you on our knees. We pray in Christ's name.